0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. Not only can you find my reviews here in podcast form on the Quipster Film Review Podcast, but you can also go to my website and find them all in a written form. I've been doing film reviews there since 1996, 20 years worth, 3,900-plus film reviews at Quipster.net. That's at Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let everybody know who hasn't heard yet, I've just joined the In Session Film Podcast. You can find a lot of my reviews in podcast form exclusively there, And that's more in a conversational style because I'm hosting along with J.D. Duran and Brendan Cassidy, two very passionate and very knowledgeable film fans who are also film critics and who enjoy films every bit as much as I do. It's a great and very knowledgeable and very interesting show. I do encourage everybody to check it out. That's InSessionFilm.com for all the details. And you can find me on specifically the extra film portion of that show. At the time of this recording, we just posted up The Edge of Seventeen as well as the latest Ang Lee film called Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. So if you want to hear my takes for either of those films, go to InSessionFilm.com for the details. As far as this show here, I'm going to be talking about a film that many people who have been really chomping at the bit to see have probably already seen – It's taken me a long time to actually get around to doing this review because there's a lot of things going on in my life, so it's really hard to juggle everything right now. At some point in the future, I hope that I will get it all sorted out. But for right now, please excuse me, I got Moana out first because that was an easier film to review, whereas as far as Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, I had a lot more to wrestle with in terms of my feelings on that, and so it took me quite a long time, actually almost a week and a half before I could finally sort it all out in written form. But uh I will be talking about it on my review today. Obviously, if you know anything about what's out in the movie theaters at all, you know that Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is an offshoot. It's a spinoff. It's a prequel, whatever you want to call it, to the Harry Potter film series and also the series of books as well. It does get credibility because it does feature a screenplay by J.K. Rowling, and this is really her first screenplay to be produced directly into a feature film. The film, as with many of the Harry Potter film series is PG-13 because it does contain fantasy action violence. It's two hours and 13 minutes, so it's a little bit shorter than most of the Harry Potter films. Eddie Redmayne is the main star. You have supporting roles going to Katherine Waterston, Dan Fogler, Colin Farrell, Alison Sudol, Carmen Ejogo, Ezra Miller, Samantha Morton, and John Foyt are in this film. There's a few cameos here, but I don't want to go into them because they may constitute spoilers. But the director is David Yates, who also directed the final four of the eight Harry Potter films to come out in theaters. Now, as far as Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them as a film, some people will call it a prequel or a spinoff because this does take place in the past in terms of the timeline to the Harry Potter series. So it is a prequel in that way. And certainly some of the characters that you're going to come to know in their older form will probably be characters that you knew from the Harry Potter series. Some people might also call it a spinoff because here we have characters that are completely different and really will not interact with Harry Potter himself when he is born, I guess, into this universe. And being that Harry Potter, the series of movies, were highly lucrative, obviously there's a lot of pressure by Warner Brothers to continue to pull up the trucks full of money and to make more of these things. This one is actually not based on a book by J.K. Rowling, so this has a unique place in the film series. It is actually based on one of the textbooks, a fictional textbook, that actually was in the world of Harry Potter, because Harry Potter would come to study this book called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them during his stint at Hogwarts, kind of an encyclopedia of sorts. Although the narrative is not based on something that J.K. Rowling may have written in long form, the makers of this movie are still catering to those lovers of her work. They enlist her services for the screenplay, that gives it all the credibility it needs in terms of the storytelling because fans really want more J.K. Rowling in her view. Anything other than that probably would be met with much more scrutiny, I think. Rowling's story here features almost exclusively adults in contrast to the Harry Potter universe. So there's a decidedly more mature approach to this new proposed five-film series here. So Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the first of the five proposed films. Eddie Redmayne is the star. He plays this very klutzy, I guess it's called a magizoologist, and his name is Newt Scamander. He's the author of this, this guide that will be written, I guess, in the future of these magical creatures that exist in this world, and this world meaning the mortal plane, and of course, where they may be found. This one is set in the past, it's set mostly in New York City in 1926. New commanders coming in from England in order to, I guess, unleash at least one of these creatures to its more natural habitat. We find in New York City that there are those who can work magic who are living in this world surreptitiously, really, because the nomadges, the American usage for muggles, which are people who do not have magical powers, are kept really in the dark as far as all of the fantastical and magical things that are going on around them. Because the people who wield magic use these spells called Obliviation, which is something that will erase the memories of the non-magic, so that they never are really fully aware of what's going on around them. So Scamander arrives in New York City. He has this magical suitcase. Inside the suitcase are a plethora of magical creatures of all sizes, if you go into the suitcase, it's actually a whole different world in there, really. So the suitcase has magical powers, too. Those creatures are highly illegal to possess in these parts and in these times. The intention of Scamander is to release one of those magnificent creatures, a Thunderbird, into the wilds of Arizona. However, there's this mishap that occurs, and the suitcase ends up being swapped with a nearly identical one, which belongs to a struggling nomad, factory worker and baker named Jacob Kowalski, played by Dan Fogler. Kowalski ends up ignorantly releasing a bunch of these forbidden creatures out into the public causing some of the conflict within the course of this movie and the other backdrop to this film that in this environment the wizards have their own factions in addition to the nomadges as well as the wizards there's this upstart group that consists more of the zealous elements who are bent on weeding out those magicians and there is also a struggle for power even within those ranks People forging forward with their own agendas for wanting to expose the secret society of magic that exists within the city to the public at large. And there's a lot more to it. It's a very convoluted plot. I guess when you have five films, you want to set up the boundaries of all of those films early. Some things that are in this film will not really make sense readily to the people who are just taking in this film for the first time. I assume that when future entries come out, you can go back to this film and it'll make a little bit more sense. So as far as the plot goes, this seems somewhat familiar, especially recently, because of the Pokemon Go craze. In fact, I would say this is really the plot line of Pokemon Go, if it were to also contain elements of, say, Men in Black. This film features a lot of magical creatures, just like Pokemon Go, many varieties that have to be caught out in the public streets, but also the American citizens have to continuously have their memories erased, like Men in Black, whenever they catch sight of something that they shouldn't because of the fear that mass hysteria is going to ensue if they somehow figure out that all of these creatures, there's this whole world of magic, this whole plane of magic that they don't see. Now, partially because of this familiarity for us as the viewers, and partially because these characters and their situations aren't really rife with sufficient buildup to be invested in their motivations, I think that Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, as a movie, it remains, for me anyway, mostly inert. It puts all of its emphasis into these technical achievements these visual spectacles, the, the sound, the sights, to deliver anything that's above standard movie fare. In order to tie in Fantastic Beasts with the Harry Potter series, at least in terms of tone, Warner Brothers here, as I mentioned, enlists the services of director David Yates. He's the director of the final four of the eight films in the Harry Potter saga. In some ways, that's pretty good in terms of giving the fans of the films a ready-made familiarity in terms of the way that the film looks, the way that it's edited, the tempo, the tone. It gets us instantly invested in the story if we're familiar with Yates style. At the same time, I think that it would have been more compelling to see this saga differentiate itself further beyond the characters, beyond that locale, instead of playing things safe within the confines of the formula. It would have been nice to get a break from the Harry Potter look and feel and come up with something new and fresh to make it its own unique world. I felt, even though the setting is different New York City, and a lot of the accents are more American, I feel like a lot of this feels like things that we've seen before. And that does negate some of the freshness quality to it. I think Yates does carry a sense of gravitas in his films. It, he really pushes forward the whimsy toward the edges I think that's also to its detriment. There's really no sense of that awe I feel that we should be feeling at seeing those fantastic beasts because I think Yates knows that we know that we've seen this all before. So he never really plays up the magic, the majesty of any of what we see as extraordinary as they would be within a society that knows no magic at all. You know, one of the reasons why I like the first Harry Potter film, even though subsequent films, especially by Yates, did those films better was because that was the first time we were looking at the world of Harry Potter and Hogwarts and all of these creatures. So there was that newness, that freshness, that, wow, there's a whole universe of things that we don't know about that are fascinating, we want to see more of. Whereas the way that Yates is directing this here, it's almost as if, hey, everybody knows, you know what we're going to see. Therefore, they're not going to play up the fact that anything that we see is truly out of the ordinary, it doesn't build up that factor of leaving Jaws agape at anything we see. I mean, it's almost like they're saying, hey, I know, you've been there, you've done that. Let's just move on and try to give you plot and characters. However, despite plot and characters that are new here, what Fantastic Beast is writing upon is that it's going to deliver enough visual spectacle to give us as viewers something to admire while also doing the drudge work of having to set up for future entries in addition to tying itself in, ultimately, with the Harry Potter series. Now, as such, this is not a very compelling start. I think part of that, a big part of it, is because J.K. Rowling herself has penned the script here. And while she does carry a lot of clout for fans of the franchise, I think that the problem is that J.K. Rowling is so revered within the world of Harry Potter and her fans that they really could not change a great deal from her script, from her original intent, which, given that this is her first produced screenplay, means that David Yates' hands, even though he has been largely the most hands-on in the series, they're tied in terms of being creative with these characters, with their dialogue, or with the sequence of situations as they play out in the plot. He's kind of handcuffed by having to adhere so much to J.K. Rowling's original script, One of the things that Yates really did benefit from was that when he got on board with Order of the Phoenix, he had to actually excise a lot of the extraneous stuff, a lot of the fluff, a lot of the scenes that are put in there just for whimsy. He could really tighten it up and build a momentum within the course of that movie, but also over the course of the four movies that he did. Whereas in this film, he has to pretty much deliver the plot and dialogue as written in J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling... Not necessarily known for being really a plot-driven writer. She's more about world-building. She creates a lot of characters, a lot of situations, a lot of magical items. And, you know, a lot of the real pleasures of a J.K. Rowling work is going into this world and being absorbed by all of these things. But unfortunately, movies are much more built toward finding a plot early and then writing that to its inevitable climax and then conclusion One of the benefits of the Harry Potter series is that even though it took a while for it to get into the actual big plot between Voldemort and Harry and all this all this other stuff that comes to fruition, we had enough time to come to feel a certain compassion, some emotional connection to Harry and Hermione and Ron over the course of their storyline. It was a little bit more leisurely, at least in the beginning, until we finally got to the point where everything that we're going to see is really building up towards something So after observing the way that J.K. Rowling constructs her script here, at least in this first entry, I would say that her narrative writing style probably works better in a novel form where those explorations into the natures of the beasts as well as the backgrounds to all of these characters can be explored in full detail before they're set in motion. In fact, most of the joys of reading Rowling comes in the way that she builds the worlds that the characters that we are to follow will inhabit there's no luxury here in the Fantastic Beasts film because we have to get to the meat of the matter first. Then we have to play catch-up with all of what's going on along the way, and that's far less enjoyable experience for rallying fans. Also, the premise rides on the notion that we're going to be entertained merely by the sight of these Fantastic Beasts. However, in this day and age, after seeing over a dozen films every single year that's set in some sort of fantasy world where anything and everything is shown in rich visual detail... It's going to take a lot more than just creature design for us as viewers to be wowed in our seats, and it's just really not going to happen here on that alone. So viewers who are unfamiliar to the Harry Potter films should presumably be able to follow this offshoot that takes place before the events of what came before. The way the storyline's structured, though is meant to build up to those other eight films. So I think that this is going to be a case of diminishing returns for viewers who don't want to dive back and get up to speed with the Harry Potter films. If you're going into this cold, thinking, hey, this is the prequel, I think you're going to have the same experience as watching the prequels first of the Star Wars films, where a lot of the mysticism and the majesty of being a Jedi, for instance, was much more mundane in the way that the sequels were presented than, say, in the New Hope or the Episode Four of Star Wars. I think you're kind of defeating yourself by starting with these first and then going into the Harry Potter films. Definitely watch the Harry Potter films first as far as I'm concerned, especially given the case that Easter eggs abound in this film. Now, to be fair, I, I personally didn't think that the Harry Potter series was any great shakes until the fifth film, The Order of the Phoenix. Then I was truly on board with the franchise enough to be invested and in, to see where things might develop. So I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach with this series, even though I'm not really high on this particular entry I wasn't really as high on the first four Harry Potter films either, and eventually I came to really enjoy them later. However, I do think that given that Fantastic Beasts, as a series, is only intended to be five films in itself, and the fact that one of the reasons why I like the Harry Potter films, the latter half of the Harry Potter films much more, was that you could strip away a lot of the expository information in order to get right to the plot. I'm a little bit cautious in my optimism Because these films are written by JK Rowling, who's not really an experienced screenwriter. And also the fact that she has to do all of that world building within the course of those screenplays. She can't really strip away anything. And those people who are directing this are not going to strip away JK Rowling because she is a major force, a major reason why anybody takes in these films. So I am hoping that the powers that be behind any follow ups can address the storytelling and the character investment problems of Fantastic Beast and Rowling's writing here a little bit sooner because it's going to be a long cinematic slog for me and for many fans who might be a little bit disenchanted by this particular first century for a return of the magic of Harry Potter to come into play. This one lives in a luxuriously presented but soullessly obligatory world, and I really found a lot of it to be quite distancing and boring as a result. So I think that those people who are going into this movie with the momentum of the Harry Potter series and really wanting to see something new and different are going to be excited that they finally get to see something that they haven't read before, before going into the film. Because a lot of Harry Potter fans read the books before they saw the movie, and so they actually knew what they were going to get. They didn't know exactly what they were going to get in Fantastic Beasts except for the fact that they know ultimately what's going to happen later at Hogwarts and in the world of Harry Potter. But they don't know these characters, they don't know these situations, so there is a little bit more titillation, a little bit more excitement, I think, and a little bit more energy for a Harry Potter fan going in. I think that those Harry Potter fans are going to come into this a little bit more apt to like this film more than they probably would if this were independent of the Harry Potter series or any other ties to any world that they know. I'm going to give this film two and a half stars out of four, personally, because I don't think that this is a really strong film. I think the plot is convoluted because it's doing all of this stuff in anticipation of future entries, so a lot of it is really unexplained. I think that that's the wrong way to tell a story. Personally, I think you got to tell a story, a self-contained story, at least with the first entry, before we get into expanding upon that world. I really don't like films that anticipate that we're going to get future films right off the bat. A lot of times that gets in the way of the storytelling because of all of the seeds that they want to plant first, and it doesn't make sense within the course of that story. Tell your story, tell it first, do it contained, and then expand on that. That's how I think movie series really should do it. Two and a half stars on my scale means that I do think that all of the tools here, all of the talent was involved to make a winning film, but it just doesn't coalesce. It's a fits and starts kind of film. I like certain aspects of it. However, I wasn't really drawn into the story. I don't really care about these characters. If I never see them again, I'm okay with that too. You know, if the if the next film had completely different characters, I would be okay with that as far as I was concerned. And I feel that that makes this one a bit of a failure in terms of drawing me in into this new world of J.K. Rowling's creations. And that's unfortunate, at least for me. So I can't quite give it a recommendation, even though I know a lot of Harry Potter fans are going to see this no matter what and have already seen this. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. Please click the subscribe button if you haven't done so already. You'll continue to get all of my reviews as they come out. Also, you'll have to subscribe to the In Session Film Podcast to get all of my reviews because, as I mentioned, I'm going to be doing some reviews, especially of independent films and foreign films, etc., on that. So wherever you found this podcast, also look for the In Session Film Podcast as well. But if you want to get all of my work as it comes out, you can go to my website, Quipster.net. You can find not only new stuff, but also old stuff and everything in between. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net.